This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, welcome to the Northern Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith, and joining me this week are James and Natalie to talk about the game against Hull at Turf Moor at the weekend. A 1 1 draw, Robert Snodgrass with a late free kick that cancelled out a quite brilliant goal by Stephen Defoe. A point maybe a fair result overall. James, we'll start with you. What, what do you make of the the result? First of all, 1 0, it always feels like a kick in the teeth when you give away a goal so late. It was the fifth minute of added time, wasn't it? I think it felt worse than a defeat. and it probably felt that way for a lot of people. I mean, on the whole, it probably was the right result, um, a draw. I didn't think either team really looked that dangerous. Obviously, I know they did hit the woodwork a few times, but I never really felt like there were a lot of a threat, and I didn't feel like we were a lot of a threat either. You know, Defoe's goal really did come from nowhere, and it's uh, you know absolutely sensational striker, a lot of movement on the ball, and you know the goalkeeper is actually unsighted by his own defender, but. You know the quality of the the hits just so good that that doesn't really make a difference to the path it takes. But it, it's obviously devastating to lose three points, um, well lose two points to, to just take one from such a late late free kick. It reminded me a bit of what it probably felt like for Leicester last time we were in the Premier League, and Ross Wallace had that great last minute free kick. Um, I imagine their fans were probably loving it and had a great afternoon as a as a result, but. Um, no, you can't give free kicks away in areas like that later on, and I'm, you know, I'm good for Ben Mee because I thought other than that, he'd, he'd had a great game, and did, I don't think he good. actually, yeah, I don't think he actually intended to go in like that. No, I think he, he slipped, slipped a little. And... He slipped, yeah. It looked like he was just desperate to get the block in and just slipped a bit and then caught the yeah. line. It's a free kick. Huddleston's looking for it as well. He leaves his leg oh, there. Yeah, but I'm sure like one of our players at the other end would be yeah, doing it, the same it was thing. a yeah, classic modern gamesmanship, but yeah. You know, fair play to Snodgrass because he's he's hit one over free kick and uh, yeah, difficult game to to assess really. Hull fans were very quick to point out, oh, we hit the woodwork twice. Diamande missed that fantastic chance from six yards out, but I I I think Heaton would have saved both the ones that hit the woodwork anyway. So I don't think they're um, that relevant really. But it was a desperately poor game for certainly an hour. Natalie before Defoe really lifted. Everyone with 
what's going to be a contender for certainly our goal of the season, if not the league's. It certainly was. Um, uh, For me, I think it was a classic game against two sides who were almost too scared to lose the game. I think for both, for, for teams like Hull and Burnley, you're fighting for every single point in the Premier League and you've got to take points from the sides around you who, or who you expect to be around you at the end of the season if you've got any chance of survival. And for me, for the first hour, they were just, nobody wanted to, you know, go too far forward and leave themselves exposed at the back or, you know, give the, you know, give the ball away in a silly position and allow the other side momentum to go on a counter-attack. So that, I think, summed it up for me. And then all it, we we actually said, um, probably about 10 minutes before the goal went in, that it was one of those games that was always going to take either a mistake or a moment of brilliance to break the deadlock. And as it turns out, it was an absolutely sublime strike. I mean... I'm still purring over that touch and that turn that he brought in midfield to create all that space. And then the strike as well. I think for the first sort of 30 seconds of jumping up and down and cheering in the ground, I was just like, what was that? Like, oh my God, what have we just seen in Turf Moor with somebody in a Burnley shirt? So yeah, it was, it was incredible. And it's such a shame we just couldn't see it out. We couldn't, you know, hang fire to, to get a really valuable three points. But like you said, Jamie, there were, you know, Hull did create a lot of chances. I agree with you. I think Heaton would have saved the ones that that um, that you, you mentioned. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Maybe you, you've got this lined up to talk about, but it seemed to me there was a really clear-cut penalty shout for Hull when Heaton was running along the line trying to stop the ball going out for a corner and looked like he brought the guy down in the box. I know the Hull fans were screaming for it. So at the time, it did feel that we'd gone ahead when perhaps we we were very lucky to not be two or three down. Yeah, I was a bit surprised that people didn't make more of that incident, actually, because it looked a penalty to me. Like, yeah, it did to he, me. Heaton seemed to be trying to prevent a corner because the ball was obviously nowhere near going it going in the goal, so it must have been trying to stop the corner. Realised that he couldn't actually get hold of it, so parried it and then brought the guy down trying to scramble to get the ball. It was a bit of a brain fart from, from Tom Heaton. Um, he's not the best start to the season, actually, Heaton, I don't think. Um, James, to, to go back to uh, Defoe, though, he managed to get through more than an hour of the game, but still had to come off for the last 15 minutes. And Surely his goal proves that it's, it's vital he gets fit to play 90 minutes as soon as possible, because we miss him badly when he's not on the pitch. It's one of those things, that he's, he's sort of, he looks fit for most of the game, and then... This sort of five minutes before he comes off, where it does seem to tear off, obviously he scored a fantastic goal as well in that spell. So um, it could have been worse. But I think Dash said he's he could feel his calves tightening up or something like that. And obviously you don't want to don't want to risk it because really, where are we if uh, we lose Defoe as well? Now there's a few people saying Dash shouldn't have brought him off, but there was one who he knocked the ball past a, a defender and went after it, and he was favourite to get there, and he just gave up because he couldn't, he couldn't run anymore. Like, you can't have a player who can't run. Like, it's it's ridiculous. It reminds me of uh, when Brian Lowe's was in charge when we came down to the Championship. We were at Sheffield United, and I think we were winning. It was quite a comfortable score at the time, but he brought Chris Eagles off, uh, and we went on to either draw or lose. I can't remember which one it was now. But he got absolutely crucified, but I mean, I was there, and Chris Eagles was practically crawling back to the uh, halfway line to be subbed. 
So, you know, would it have been any different if he stayed on or it could have possibly even been worse because if you're carrying one player who's, uh, you know, clearly not got the energy left and isn't fit enough, you know, what good are you doing? You're effectively playing with uh, 10 men instead. And also, what would DeFore have done that would have stopped the goal? I think you can always go further back and apportion blame for, for goals, but looking at... Uh, Watching the highlights on match of the day after seeing the game on Saturday, I, I was struck by how poor a clearing header it was by George Boyd at the front post. You need to get that ball away, and instead he headed it up in the air so he landed on the edge of his own box. It was about as poor a clearing header as you could get. Um, and yeah, I felt like Ben Mee was just a bit unfortunate. Um, a few people, though, Natalie felt Heaton's positioning wasn't ideal, that it was maybe too far over to the other side. Um, I suppose it's always tough for the, these sorts of free kicks because you've got you can only cover half of the goal really with the wall. But is there anything you feel like we could have done differently as a team? There were other people saying we should have put a man on the post for the free kick. Yeah, um, I, as soon as the free kick was given, everybody just put their head in the hands because when you've got a player of that ability who's one of the best dead ball specialists that there is um, in the Premier League you just know that the chance you know give him half an inch and he's going to score a goal which is exactly what he did as soon as they lined up the wall and Heaton drifted towards the right hand post everyone was just everybody you could see a massive gap and we were all just looking at it going this is going in that bottom corner this is going in that bottom corner oh look there it is now I know um, outside of the podcast, we've discussed this this week about whether or not you should put a, a man on the post or not. And I, I was one of those on the game um, who did think that. I know you you boys disagree and you think that there's no place in the modern game for, for sticking a defender on the line. Regardless of whether or not that's now in the Premier League game or whether or not that's deemed to be two Sunday league, we're on the last kick of a game for two vital points for our Premier League season. To me, surely you just do everything that you can to stop that ball going in. Heaton's position was wrong. He was far too far over. I actually kind of think we had too many men in in the um, in the wall. It just seemed like we put everybody apart from one person on the wall. And it, from where we were sat, it just looked like Snodgrass had so much room to shoot at that it was he was he couldn't miss. So. To me, I know I understand the arguments and I know we want to play technically brilliant and modern football, but sometimes you've just got to do everything you possibly can to stop that ball going in the back of the net. And I agree with you, Jamie. I think they need to to be looking at that and and, and really assessing what they can do um, in this league to stop goals being conceded when they're in a position of that nature. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to do with not wanting to be Sunday League. I, I just think people saying put a man on the post. When when do you ever see a team do it? Like they're they've either come up with something that everyone in football has missed, or there's very good reasons why nobody does it. And it just, for me, it's like which, which which is the more likely of those situations? Is it that Jeff thinks there should be a man on the post and he's right, or is it? All football managers think that there shouldn't be a man on the post. I think. Yeah, that's that's the that's the most obvious argument against yeah, Jamie. I mean, like, if, if you do have the man on the post, sides. to like go deeper on this, if you have the man on the post, the most obvious thing first of all is that then all attackers are going to be onside. So that means 
True. The attacking team can put players in front of the goalkeeper and they're not offside yep. because there's a guy on the post. They can put somebody in front of the guy that's on the post so that he can't see the ball. They can put men anywhere they want between the ball and the goal because they're all going to be onside. Hmm. So it makes it yeah, more not... complicated. Um, I think we've also, as James has said, it's very free kick from Snodgrass, but to get the ball over the wall and down from there it's certainly not an easy technique and we certainly have to give credit to him for that as well um, James what are your thoughts on this defending free kicks It's there's lots of different schools of thought but if you give a player something to aim at and he hits it do you then just put your hands up and say well done I think you have to I mean maybe you could say Tom Heaton's positioning could have been different, but I think he's a bit too far over. But it's hindsight, isn't it? I mean, the free kick's not right in the corner, which I think is what yeah. got people thinking. Normally, as well, you'd set up with your wall covers one half, the keeper covers the other half. So, because the wall was so big, it sort of just skewed that. Um, I mean, I haven't looked at it again since, but really, you wouldn't expect a player to be able to get the ball uh, up and down from that sort of distance. With that many people in the wall, if you know the wall jumps at the right time, I think you've really just got to, you know, hats off to Snodgrass. It's a great free kick. Uh, I, I really wouldn't expect someone to be on the post in professional football um, for a free kick from that position at any time in the game. Maybe free kick sort of out wide, more like a corner position, then yeah, you maybe expect one of the posts to be covered, but uh, not from a free kick really, because in the majority of cases, it's, it's just forcing him to aim in the other corner and. Uh, He's still got just as much chance of scoring. Yeah, the only thing that um, Mark Schwartz was on goals on Sunday on Sunday, obviously, um, and they were asking him about this. Obviously, a goalkeeper that's played a lot of games in the Premier League, scene, and he said the only thing that he thinks was maybe technically wrong was that the wall they weren't on their toes to give it a few extra inches of height to the wall. Maybe it would have made a difference. Maybe it wouldn't. Um, other people saying the wall should have jumped. If the wall jumps, then the free kick can go under the wall and everyone got silly. So you've either got to jump or not jump and take whatever happens from the free kick. Could have, have alternate players jumping and not jumping. That's, maybe that's an alternative. Maybe it is an alternative. I've always thought you could have like four men in the wall and then they all hold up another player above them. Yeah. Like a rugby throwing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what they call it, like a line out or whatever they call it. But anyway, <laughs> so they're all one of them up this other guy and runs on the wall. Just throw him in the air. So so far we've got we've got <laughs> we've got a, a choreographed wall jumping up and down alternatively, and we've got men throwing other men around. Do you know, I've often said you two really should be on our coaching staff. I think you'd be spectacular. <laughs> I don't see why not. <laughs> <laughs> But Jeff in the I, stand thinks we should have a man on the pause, then I'm, I'm, I don't think my idea is any softer. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, obviously, the biggest thing against the man on the post is he automatically plays anyone on side. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie said that a minute ago, yeah. No, I do, I do, I do understand your point, Jamie, and I think you've probably just summarised the most convincing argument for me as to why that wasn't the case and why you don't put somebody on the post. It's easy for us to say... What you know, out of frustration, and when it's the last kick of the game, and you're yeah, just you're about to find throw... like yeah. an excuse or a reason, which of course is totally understandable. But I, I think Heaton's positioning is maybe the main thing, and it's a very good free kick. If it had been the other way around, and one of our players had done that in the last minute, would we even 
ask questions about the war or a man on the post, the goalkeeper no would be saying what an amazing free kick that was. So I think um, just got to really highlight Snodgrass, his man in very good form, scored a hat trick for for Scotland, and he's a set piece specialist. So well done to to Robert Snodgrass. I'm sure he's not listening to the podcast, but if he is, congratulations, you did a very good free kick there. <laughs> we, we should have just uh, been like, it's our ground, it's our ball, we're going home, and ended yeah. the game. As he was like ninety to minutes. I don't believe in stoppage time. No, that's end it. That's going home. Is there any question that there was too much stoppage time? I've seen that quite a lot this week on Twitter. People complaining that the goal was scored way over 95 minutes, yet only four minutes was given. I don't remember there being any time wasting. It was wasting. four minutes, but it's a minimum of four minutes. So yeah, really, you could say fifth, four minutes and, and play 15 probably, if you want. Yeah, mm. it was probably also just the delay of taking the free kick. I mean, I can't remember exactly, but that would seem My dad always says this, but they don't actually have to let him take the free kick. But I've always just thought it'd be a bit of a... You can't really give someone a free kick and then go, oh, time's up. Oh, like, immediately done, yeah, sorry. Yeah, because then otherwise it'd be like, you know, in rugby when the time's up, the time's up when the ball's dead. You just get, we've played the four minutes, so players would be picking the ball up or just kicking someone so it's free kick and then the game's over. I don't think that was there not, um Was there not a game not so long ago in one of the... the it might have even been League One games. It might, I don't know, was it, or was it Stanley? There was a game not so long ago where the referee blew for full time after the ball, had, the free kick had already been given and a split second before it went over the line. Yeah, so I, think, actually I, think it was, I think it was, was it? a Stanley game. A typical what, League referee from. not knowing yeah. what they're doing. That's um, great. That's great. He's well within his rights. <laughs> I'd relish doing that. That's <laughs> awesome, wasn't it? Can you imagine the crowd? You'd be like, oh, sorry, lads, whistle went. James, please don't ever become a, a referee. <laughs> Just please don't. <laughs> One thing I want to come back to, um, team selection, Jeff Hendrick on the bench, because Dean Marnie was fit to play, Natalie, despite your duff info, we'll never listen to that source again. Sorry. Um, any surprise that Hendrick didn't make it into the team, whether for Marnie or for anyone else? Dash did make one change. He put Goodmanson in for, for Arfield. Do you think that was just because of Arfield's international experience? We talked about this on the podcast last week, didn't we? And speculated that Arfield could lose his place if he's zipping across the Atlantic every few weeks. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. Um, I wasn't surprised to see Arfield rested. Um, obviously, the surprise with Marnie being fit, the machine that he is. Um, I'm not surprised Hendrick started on the bench. I think Deitch was quite clear in um, his reasoning for that. He's not going to put a player into the thick of things you know, less than 48 hours after he's met his teammates. He doesn't know anybody he plays. He's not yet settled into the side. And you know, Deitch will probably have had, whilst he might not say it in public, he probably will have had one eye on the fact that this was a very important home game and he didn't want to do anything that, that jeopardised it. So from a consistency point of view, if Marnie was fit to play, he's more likely to play Marnie and Defoe, who've at least trained together and played together before now than than sticking Hendrick in there. Um, saying that, I was really impressed with him when he came on. He looked, uh, he looked pretty sharp. So I don't... I said this last week and I still maintain this. I feel now that Marnie may have slipped to third choice. I would be very surprised if we don't now start to see a Defoe and Hendrick um, starting pair. Yeah, I think um, it's tough because Dean Marnie's done such a fantastic job for us, but I think when you stick him next to Stephen Defoe, you see the golfing... I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to be insulting to Dean Marnie, but Defoe is obviously a player who belongs in the Premier League. Marnie's the sort of player who's been striving to belong in the Premier League without ever really 
proving himself. I think it's probably fair to say, although he, he did have that injury last time we were in the Premier League. To be fair, um, the one change that Dash did make, James Goodmanson in for Arfield, do you think the Iceland winger did a good job? George Boyd has took a, a lot of stick again on social media. Do you think Boyd for, for Arfield might be the change he goes for in the next game? Um, firstly, just to go back on Demoni. I thought he was actually very good last time in the Premier League until he got injured, which obviously means he didn't play anymore. But I thought we actually we had half a chance of staying up at that point, and then we didn't. Yeah, I tend um, to agree with you there, James. I also thought he did quite well as well until he got injured. So I think you're overly harsh just, there. Just to go back again, then <laughs> I've seen this argument made a few times about different players, but since we're talking about Marnie, yes, he did okay, but we still got relegated, and yes, it was because he was injured. But if we're going to aspire to be better than scrapping someone better than Marnie is what we need I think and also the wingers are the same Boyd and Arfield people say they, they did it they did alright in the Premier League last time yeah alright they're also out of form for, for long periods so my point is yeah, sort you, of medium term medium term rather than short term with George Boyd being not very good last season until the last five games yeah and obviously, exactly so to get back on track George Boyd uh don't think he was very good necessarily. He wasn't awful. He's one of those players who's like, I don't think I've ever seen him play really awful. I've just seen him play where you wonder what purpose he's serving. Like He doesn't necessarily do anything wrong. You don't think, oh, he's really cost us there. But you think, I've seen him run a lot, but why does he not run like with the ball? Yeah. Or a lot of his running the it doesn't ball seem... to someone in a good position like, yeah. where is he going what is his mindset with... I think I've, I've made this point on the podcast before but a lot of his runs don't seem to accomplish anything um, it's, it is I'm not saying this is what he's doing but it is almost like he's doing it for the stats because we know George Boyd runs more than anyone else we know he does more sprints than anyone else but sometimes he does a run and you're like I don't know what that was for. He's not moved anyone around. He's not running to space. He's just done a bit of a run, and everyone's like, "Well, run." <laughs> but at the same time, he he absolutely owns almost every running metric for the team. So for that reason, I don't think he will get dropped. Though a positive to come from the winger situation is, I thought Goodmanson made a much better account of himself than he did against Stanley. But that's maybe not the biggest praise in the world. Again, I, I didn't really feel like you noticed him a lot. And uh, Arfield obviously has had a okay-ish start to the season. But I think if he does keep playing for Canada, then he's going to find himself on the bench a lot more because you know he went to Honduras, didn't he, via Canada? So it's like fifteen thousand mile round trip. You can't yeah, do that. It, the game then. he played against Honduras as well. I saw some of it. And- pretty sure they had a water break because it was that hot so it would have taken a lot out of him even yeah. for a lad as fit as Arfield you do have to I know I understand why he wants to play for Canada you know and play international football but I don't think he particularly has that big of affinity to the, the country so you do have to question whether he maybe needs to think is it the right thing to do for his, his club career which obviously is, you'd suspect is more important to him yeah um, well we did this a bit on the podcast last week didn't we but yeah, it's six months he's been playing for Canada, so he probably can't turn around and say, 
Yeah, you know, I, I've just like got in the team now, and I'm quite an important player. But I'm, I'm I made a mistake. Doing it anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have done it. My bad. I'm just going to stop coming. Now. I've, I've realised how far away Canada is now. Yeah. And, uh... I've never looked at a map before, but it turns out it takes like 12 hours to fly to get here, and like 12 hours to fly back. Don't want to uh, do that. It's jet, yeah, it's jet lag thing. I don't even know what time of day it is. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think I know who I'd bring in. I also know Dash won't do that. Um, <laughs> I mean, everyone knows who James would bring in. There is a case for it. There is a case for it. The other three are all very similar, I think. They'll run up and down the wing all day and yeah, take the full back. He, he offers you something a bit different. And I think people have always said he doesn't defend. Uh, but I think he can come back. He can do the you know, the boys run up and down the wing. But at the same time, while his end product's not always necessarily been the best, he at least tries to beat a man and, and get the ball in the box, which I think is something that we could do with right now. Uh, you know, and get a couple of scrappy goals off people's shins and stuff like that in the six-yard box. Um, but the other alternative is maybe just pack in, play in the wingers and go to a 4 3 which I know you're a big advocate of, James, because you really... I'm sure you really have to. I wasn't to even going to talk it, about so. it. I wasn't even going to talk about it. Um, but I do. I do think that the players we've got now would perhaps be more suited to four three three. But yeah, I mean, I you don't could know put if any point play. talking about it on the podcast. But you could put Vaux in the middle, and you can put Gray and Bamford either side. You know, Bamford. I thought when he came on, looked sharp. He had some nice touches. Obviously, he didn't get long enough for you to really see what he's about. But there was one uh, one moment where he took the ball into his feet and hit it pretty quickly off his left foot and it was well blocked by the defender but he struck it well and uh, you know in another position maybe he gets a shot off on goal there and uh, I was I was impressed by how you know lively he looked and uh, I think he's one of those players that he's a bit of an unknown entity as well because he, he did well for Borough in the Championship but he's never really been given a Premier League chance and maybe in a 4-3-3 he could strive and you know, we could really take advantage of having got a good young player from one of the top sides. Maybe. I mean, I think everyone assumes that if Gray gets a suspension for his, his social media stuff, that Bamford will come in. But uh, when I was thinking of a four-three-three, I was actually thinking more um, Goodmanson as the third player because he got so many goals and assists for Charlton last season. But I think he had that freedom. I don't think they were asking him to do the defensive work that we are. And I think if we there's been a lot of talk about creativity and us not making enough chances, which is right, but it's a product of the system, I think, rather than personnel. I think if you've got your wingers and you're asking them to to do the 10 miles a game or whatever daft statistic it is Boyd does, and you're asking them to protect the fullback and you're asking them to tuck inside so the fullback can then go on the outside, and then you're then asking them to create chances as well, I think it's an awful lot. Um, Natalie, what's what's your view on the winger situation? We're not really seeing enough of them in attack, but it is difficult when they're being asked to do so much work in defence as well. Yeah, it is. Um, the right wing is a particular concern for me, and I saw this on Saturday quite a lot. The Loughton-Boyd partnership for me isn't working at all. Um, Loughton looks pretty uncomfortable getting too far forward um, and I think certainly when we're shooting towards the cricket field stand that's very much I can see a lot of that because that's right where I have my seat he he they just when one of them starts a run or there's a ball uh, played out of defense on the right side it 
breaks down when it gets maybe three quarters of the way up the, at the end of the pitch. Loughton doesn't look particularly very comfortable going that far. He then is expecting Boyd to take over from him so he can get, you know, track back and Boyd can go forward and try and either beat a man or put a cross in. Boyd doesn't do that either. He doesn't like taking the ball with him. And there's so many times on Saturday where I was watching them, two of them play, and Loughton was looking to, to make a pass or to, you know, knock him forward. And Boyd was running the other way or they, they just don't, they don't maintain eye contact. They don't look like they, they know what the other one's doing. And it's almost like, well, I don't want it. You have it. No, I don't want it. You have it. And I'm trying to figure out in my head whether or not that is a fair complaint about them or whether or not I'm still not over Trippier. Yeah, that's Trippier. what I was going to come to. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of Burnley fans judge Lighton by that standard as well, which is yeah. probably unfair, really. It's very unfair. And actually, I don't think you can judge many right-backs against Trips because he, he was unique in that way. And that's why he ended you know, going to a club like Spurs. And he is hopefully, if he gets another move with somebody who's actually going to play him, he's going to have a fantastic career. So it's unfair to expect Loughton to do that same thing. But if Loughton isn't that player, Boyd has to take joint responsibility. They have to do a decent handover at some point on that wing and one of them's got to go and make the the fast run towards um you know goal that trips did so i think it's not just that I've... we don't seem to be putting in the deep crosses that no it was tricky game wasn't it get the balls in yeah. space on the right the whole team was set up to move the opposition across the pitch get the space on the right for trippy get the ball to him and get the ball in the box that's what we did all the time yeah, and it worked but, all yeah, the time, and we haven't we haven't Lyson's done that. Now. Crossing isn't as good as Trippier's. No, that's and neither's Boyd's. Well, exactly. I, I don't think we've got anyone who can cross the ball like Trippier could. So that's mm-hmm. a, a big facet of our attacking that we don't seem to have replaced, even though it's quite a while now since Trippier left the club. Yeah. Saying that though, I did I did feel that some of our better chances I was came from the left hand side, and I actually really liked. Ward, Defoe and Goodmanson, they linked up really, really well on Saturday and there was some really good um, passing between them and some really good space created just from some movement between the three of them. So maybe just for the time being, we just need to concentrate on getting it down the left wing and we'll worry about the right wing in the January transfer window. Maybe. You can't be too too one-dimensional about your attacking. I'm, you? I'm really not sure that it's actually Lowton's fault. I think it is more George Boyd. I don't yeah, think he, I agree. He really knows what an overlap is. Um, and, you know, if you look at the way Loughton played last season, he, he does like to get forward. And uh, I think a lot of the problem this year is if you watch the balls that have come out to him when he's open on the right, a lot have been behind him and he has to go back and pick it up. And by that point, the player is in front of him. And I think he is more hesitant to try and beat a man at the moment because he knows what is more likely to happen on the counter-attack in the Premier League. Um, very quick players who got when he's out of position he's not going to be able to track back. Yeah. I agree so about I think it. it is I, more I he doesn't want to overcommit himself too early. Um and he expects George Boyd to come fill that gap behind the man who's come and closed him down and he can just knock it through to him. But George Boyd tends to he always goes inside to the middle. Yeah. Yeah, which means Andre Gray comes out and he end up knocking it down the line for Gray. But then obviously you've taken your main goal for it away from centre of the park yeah. so I, I agree James I definitely blame Boyd more I wasn't suggesting for one minute with that that I was putting the blame on Loughton I don't, I don't think it is fair to suggest that and like we were saying you know you're trying to impose a game on him that's maybe not his game or certainly not at this level and um, Boyd going back to the original point Boyd for me has, has just been really disappointing again this season and I just 
I just can't see Dyche dropping him. And I don't know what we're going to do about him because he's, he's a really weak link. And, and because of the situation we've got ourselves on that right wing, we've got an entire part of the pitch which is really ineffective. And I just I don't know what we're going to do. The thing for me, I think at some point Dyche is going to have to... If if we don't score enough goals, which is the problem two years ago, and it's still a bit too early to judge this time, but it looks like it could be the problem again. We haven't scored a lot of goals yet this season. He's going to have to ask if the wingers are going to be able to create with all the defending they're going to have to do. Is he going to be able to give them a bit more freedom? Is he going to play them a bit further up the pitch? He's going to have to come up with a way to make us more dangerous because considering we were at home to the team everyone thought were going to finish below us, to create so little is very disappointing. And I think we've done incredibly well to get 20-odd minutes of a podcast out of such a, a dire football match. I think the podcast has been more entertaining than the game, to be honest. <laughs> Let's move on, though. We'll preview um, the game against Leicester, Premier League champions Leicester, our trip to Leicester on Saturday. But first, we'll go back to Natalie for this week's Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the week, tweet of the week, tweet of the week. Yes. Tweet <laughs> of the week. She didn't say it. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> this week has been um, another. There's the, the tweets of the week that came. Sorry, the tweets that came through after the game on Saturday were all very much the same. People feeling a little bit disheartened. Well, they were either feeling very disheartened about the loss of two valuable points and the inevitable pain that comes with a losing um, um, a lead so late on. Or a lot of people on the flip side talking about um, how we've got more points this time, a lot more points, four more in fact, than we had at this time in the last Premier League campaign. So there wasn't anything really there that we could pick out and highlight and we don't want to really end something on a um, a negative look of, oh, we've dropped three, you know, we've dropped two points. So we've gone um, onto a different Claret connected but not particularly Burnley related tweet this week from Stephen Brogdon who um, tweeted a picture and it's a picture of Joey Barton in his Rangers shirt and he's holding his hands in front of him as if he's measuring an imaginary ruler and Stephen just says when you're trying to measure how big of an error you've made and that made me laugh so well done Stephen that was this week's tweet of the week. Yeah, I only just realised when you started doing it there was another um, picture tweet you were going to have to try and explain, like paint the picture with your words. But I know. Well done on um, A, not slagging off all the listeners for doing bad tweets you couldn't use, and B, managing to avoid being called um, too negative, which I know you hate. <laughs> so congratulations on, on managing that. Um, James, I don't know if you saw any of the old firm game at the weekend, but it was... Um, humiliating really for Rangers got absolutely destroyed by Celtic he must have some regrets at this stage about the decision he made uh, possibly I, I didn't see any of it because if I wanted to watch Sunday League football I'd go watch Sunday League football down the street um, but from what I've seen of the score it was pretty one-sided and uh, you know it's to be expected Rangers have come back to the uh, Scottish Premier League and uh Obviously, Celtic have been dominating while they've been gone. Uh, and I don't think Rangers can compete with them yet. You know, they're still not back at that that same level. Um, and it's it's going to be tough, I think, for their fans to get used to being very much third-rate compared to their Celtic enemies. 
If he'd stayed, though, Natalie, do you think he'd be getting a game now with, with Hendrick coming in? Um, I think the question is whether or not we would have bought the players that we bought. Um, I think one of the reasons why we bought both Defoe and Hendrick and indeed were still um, looking to sign Stevens was because we actually needed to replace Joey. So maybe if Joey had stayed, we wouldn't have bought both of them um, and we would be playing Barton with either Defoe or Hendrick, depending on which one we got. So I think depending on what the personnel situation would have been, yes, we would still have been playing him if we had have reduced our spending. Um, if we'd have, let's assume we we, buy, we bought the same players we did, then no. I, I think we've done a really good job of improving our midfield and putting ourselves in a position from starting the season with a weaker side than the one we finished with last season, certainly in midfield, Um to now upgrade in that central midfield and having two really good talents um, within that central midfield. So, no, I don't think he would have played, assuming we would have bought the same players. That's a good point, actually. If Barton had stayed, we might have started the season with Barton and Marnie still still in midfield together. Um, with Dave Jones maybe also retained. Maybe we'd have bought wingers, though. Different. Maybe we would have bought wingers instead. <laughs> maybe there's a sliding doors alternate reality out there where Joey Barton decided to stay and play for Burnley rather than go to Rangers. Um, moving on to the, the Leicester game then, we talked a bit about Hendrick already. Um, £10 million on a player who's sat on the bench isn't going to last much longer. Do you think he's going to come into the team on Saturday, James? Or will it be a bit more of a wait until Hendrick gets to play? I don't think it'll change him in the middle of the park. Um, you know, potentially there'll be a change there with maybe Arfield might come back in. Now he's not been uh, to Honduras midweek, um, but I can't see it being for Boyd. So really, the only change I can see is Goodmanson back out and uh, Arfield back in if he does make one at all. Um, you know, I, I don't think we played awful on. Uh, on Saturday, we just sort of lacked a little bit of creativity, which is something that has been a bit of a running theme for us so far in the Premier League. Um, and I'm not sure whether he'll feel mixing it up in the middle of the park straight away is worth it. But uh, I think it depends as well on how people are feeling fitness-wise. Because um, obviously if Hendrick is the, the fittest central midfielder, then I'm sure he'll play. That's a fair point. I still wonder if, um, if Hendrick is being pegged for sort of wide midfielder role because one of the benefits of that sticking in a 4-4-2 but you could have him um, playing on say the right in front of Leighton but tucking in so it's almost a central three which would maybe give the winger on the other side more freedom to go forward because there's that extra protection from having an extra body in the midfield maybe that's something that Dash has, has thought about um Natalie, Scarfield's not going to Honduras this week, but Leicester are going to Belgium to play in the Champions League. Surely that's got to be a benefit for us that they've got, firstly, a Champions League game that's going to be dominating their attention, and secondly, they're going to be coming back from not a very long away trip, but certainly an away trip. Um, and I think they play on they play on Wednesday, so not going to have a great deal of recovery time before the playoffs. No, you, you summarised that, that perfectly. That's exactly what we've been thinking this week. I think if you are going to ever play 
the current champions in the Premier League. Number one, and this is this sounds awful and I don't mean it to, but number one, it's nice to be playing as the champions who are Leicester, who have not quite had the start to the season that they were maybe hoping for. And secondly, when they've just come back from their first ever Champions League campaign away from home and they have been um, probably distracted with excitement and, um, well, just the whole change of scenery that comes with the Champions League and the attention that comes with it and secondly when they've had um you know have been away for most of the week and had probably only 24 hours to prepare for that game this is the best chance that we have got to try and pick up some points from from Leicester and I think we will be more rested than they will be we'll be more focused than they will be and um, hopefully we can turn that into some points and let, let's be fair if we could get just a point away at the King Power that would be a really great result if we could get three that would be very impressive yeah I think more, most fans would probably take a draw if it was offered now but I agree I think it's a fantastic opportunity with, with Leicester travelling they've not started the season well um, got hammered at Liverpool last weekend and we beat Liverpool so by football fan logic that means that we should beat Leicester by rights Um James, it was always going to be difficult for Leicester after winning the Premier League title so unexpectedly, but they haven't started the season well at all, have they? They're obviously missing Kante a lot, and the fact that teams aren't allowing them to play on the break seems to be making a big difference. I mean, they'll they'll have a big target on the back now, won't they? Um, I think it's the way every time uh, a team wins the league. definitely. Everyone wants to be the champions. Yeah, they're the one that everyone wants to be. You know, everyone wants to take down. And I think in the case of Leicester, they were a little bit more, uh, you know, vulnerable to that than you know teams like Manchester City or Chelsea are. Uh, obviously, in Chelsea's case last season, they were pretty good at helping teams out. But um, uh, yeah, I think it was it was obviously difficult to expect them to do as well again. Um, but considering they only really lost one player that was that was key. Um, I'm a bit surprised because obviously Bardi's still there, um, you know, Maras is still there, and you'd have expected a little bit more from, uh, you know, from them when they had the players that still were big driving forces behind their surprise win. Yeah, I think um, they have spent quite a bit of money as well, but obviously it takes time for players to bed in. They only bought um, Slimani, the striker, he only came in just before the last game, so I don't think he played. Um, and I think Kante was so good it was like losing two players it was like losing a whole midfield um, almost in that basis uh, Leicester do have a lot of, of pace though Natalie and Swansea exploited our problems with coping with pace at the back so is that going to be a concern for this game with the, the speed that players like Vardy and Mares and Moussa if he plays the, the speed that they've got in their attack yes it has to be doesn't it Um I have some confidence in our defence. I think certainly, um, like I say, I've, I've, I've expressed a couple of concerns about Loughton, but on the whole, our back four, you know, they, they are pretty solid and and they can they can cope with that level of, of pressure on them when they need to. But in order to keep out those very quick, fast runs and in order to defend solidly, it does draw the whole team deeper. So the worry for me will be the knock-on effect of them trying to counteract such a quick break and the speed at which their forwards run at them with the whole team. Will we just basically park the bus and put 11 men behind the ball? I expect us to create again very little um, with that in mind, unless Leicester have an off day, in which case we might be able to, to push forward. Um, but I'm, I'm expecting 
one and maybe two players to be able to be getting forward and trying to create something. I fully expect the majority of the team to, to play quite deep. Yeah, I think one of the problems with us sitting deep is that apart from Gray, we don't really have any pace. So if we're trying to break at speed... But does Defoe not bring that now, though, Jamie? What, he does. Look what we saw if, on if, if, obviously, his, uh, his goal against Hull was breaking at speed and setting up Gray for his goal against Liverpool was breaking at speed. But even though it's... <laughs> I'm, I'm daft saying it, but even though it's happened twice in four games, I don't think it's going to be a regular factor. And I've played, I don't think it's part of the plan for for Defoe to, to do that. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'm not sure. We'll round off with predictions then, as always. James, we'll start with you. Give us a prediction for Leicester City v Burnley at the King Power Stadium on Saturday. Um, I think we're going to add to their miserable start and going to edge a 1-0 win. We've got quite a good record at Leicester, don't we? are normally quite up on your stats. I'm sure we've won a few in a row, though. We, we have been reasonably good there. For the last few, I think if I remember rightly, when the ground was new, uh, we had an unbeaten record there for a while. Yeah, I think so. Certainly remember a couple of games there. There was one when um, was was it Steve Davis caretaker there? Only game as caretaker, we won one nil. That sticks in the memory. Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, just looking now. We, we last lost there in uh, September 2012. Um, Not a great record, though. <laughs> Natalie, you get the last word, then prediction from you. I'm just going to um, take my headphones off for this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part of the podcast where Jamie goes into meltdown. Um, I, I'm really struggling this week, and I'm really torn with what to do. I was sat feeling so smug with myself with about 90 minutes gone on Saturday that my wonderful reverse psychology feature, which never lets us down, let us down. But at least we didn't lose. You know, that's, that's, that's our new tagline on the podcast. Um, <laughs> at least I'm, it was I'm, only 1-0. <laughs> at least it was only 1-0. One, 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 one. <laughs> I'm going to refrain from trying to change things. Around. I'm not going to panic change. I'm going to stick with formation. Um, I'm going Some to... Some of the podcast. Yeah. It's not broken. <laughs> Same again. Same again. Don't do it. Um, I've got a really bad feeling about Saturday. And I think we're going to implode and I feel like Leicester are going to win 3-0. A typically positive way to round <laughs> you off the You should to me first, yeah, Jamie. Yeah, I'll need to Wait. learn to come to you first. <laughs> That's it for this week's podcast. Thanks to James and Natalie who've joined me for the last 40 minutes or whatever it's been talking about Burnley in the last week or so. Thanks also to Adam, our editor, who makes the podcast sound a lot better than he does when we're recording it, trust me. Thanks also to Rick, who does our artwork. Finally, we're still seeking a sponsor for the podcast for the whole season, so get in touch if you want to know more. If you're interested, if your company's interested, you can always get in touch with us. You can email us. Podcast at net is the email address. You can also tweet us at net. Get in touch also with any comments, feedback, questions, complaints, praise, whatever you want to tell us. You can do so via email or Twitter, but that's it. For this week, I've been Jamie Smith. This has been the Known and Ever podcast, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm recording. I've got to talk over James, can I? When you're quite ready.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.